In this episode of Full Stack Radio, David and I talk about lessons learned from the PushSilver Infinite launch and some of the UI problems and creative solutions Steve and I have been working on for Kitetail. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 67. Hey everyone, welcome to Full Stack Radio episode 67. I'm your host, Adam Wadden, as always, and today I'm back with David Hemphill. How's it going, David? Uh, I've never been better. Awesome. That's good to hear. So, uh, to get things started, I'd like to talk briefly about something non-code related, and that is that I heard you kicked a guy's ass on Friday. (laughs) So what's what's that all about? (laughs) Well, you know, the past episode, I kind of mentioned it in passing I was going to do another MMA fight, and it just worked out that I wanted to launch Push Silver on the Wednesday, the 14th, and then I had a, f- uh, a weight cut on Thursday and a fight on Friday night. So going going through, I put all this pressure on that whole week to be like a successful week. You know, Push Silver, the new Push Silver launch crapped out. You know, I needed to do really well at the fight, and if that if I crapped out at that, then my life was over. Um, but I came out with the win. I snapped the guy's arm. <laughs> it popped five times from an arm bar, which is when you hyperextend the elbow. In the first round, too, I heard. Yes, the fight was like a minute and 15 seconds long. So Did five guy... weeks of training for that. <laughs> <laughs> Did the guy get any shots off on you? Uh, he kicked me down under from behind accidentally. He was trying to leg kick me, and then his foot kind of wrapped around and Okay. And and got me. And then, but then he landed one, one solid kick and that was it. (laughs) And then did you take him down or did he take you down to get to the arm bar? I whiffed on a two, one, which is a a right cross and a, a a jab. And he went under that and pushed it towards, to push me towards the cage. And then we kind of, you know, wrestled a little bit and then he took it down. And then I just saw an opportunity. He was, I was holding his arm, and then he was pulling out to try to punch me in the face. And <laughs> about the time he got midway away from me, I took that arm, and that was it. Nice. So you finished it with an arm bar from the bottom. Yes. Amazing. I love a good arm bar. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. So you Thank got you. uh, you got more MMA fights uh, in the pipeline, or what's the deal there? Well, I have to talk to my manager, which is my wife, <laughs> to see if she could uh, sign off on that. Worst case scenario, you go out on top. That's not a bad way to go. Yeah, it's true. Or I can <laughs> use it to supplement my, supplement my income if I just start doing more pro fights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Cool, man. So uh, yeah, that aside, also you did the push silver launch last week. So how did that go? It was good. Really kind of a scary thing to do i mean you know from launching products it's like yeah frightening absolute frightening (laughs) what am i doing why am i doing this is this going to work at all but yeah i got up at 5 a.m to kind of force myself to finish the last little bits of writing you know i didn't like schedule it and go to bed and wake up it just happened uh something about having that little last minute pressure just makes you make decisions quickly yeah for sure and I sent it all out at 9 a.m. Eastern time, which is 8 a.m. my time in central time zone. Yeah. Awesome. So did it go better than you planned, worse than you planned, or expected, I guess would be the better word? It, hmm. Well, I, I intentionally kept my expectations really, really low. Yeah. That way I would be disappointed, but it, it at least doubled my low expectations. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, do you feel like all the effort that kind of went into putting the whole thing together and kind of, you know, crafting this big launch ended up being worth it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, financially, it definitely was worth it. Um, And all the new customers seem really cool and uh, like invested, you know, whether they've been listening to the podcast or just know me from other places or just need it because they need a good invoicing system. You know, they've been really helpful with like feedback and helping me kind of prioritize the next features, um, which has been really helpful. You know, sometimes you can't get focused when you're just building it for yourself. You're like, ah, why is nobody signing up? 
you know, yeah. and it might be just like some obvious things that you haven't thought of because you don't live in the country where that problem exists. Okay. Yeah. Do you find that, um, the sort of messaging and like the focus on trying to like appeal to people who, who need invoicing, but can't justify, you know, going full into some subscription based invoicing thing worked out? Like, did that seem to resonate with the people who ended up buying? I'm I'm not real sure yet. It seems like it that definitely has a, a place. You know, people that want the want to have invoicing, want it to be beautiful and easy to use and simple. That all came through, and they like the the lifetime price point. You know, yeah. they like being able to get in there and be able to do it anytime for the rest of their life. But I'm I'm not absolutely sure yet. I haven't asked anybody, so maybe that's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> cool. So. Uh, what would you say would be some of the things that really worked out well uh, for the launch, like looking back? I think the landing page was huge. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have thought that before. Just like the landing page with the email sign up? Yep. The landing page for the infinite list, basically the people that are like super interested in in, in finding out the new pricing because it wasn't, they didn't even hear the new pricing until... No, I guess it was before. I can't remember now. It's a little, it's a little blurry. <laughs> but yeah, so it was just kind of amazing that how many sales came in through that channel. Um, people that wanted to to get on board. That that was what was amazing was that it was all pretty much email. All the sales pretty much came from email. That Twitter, you know, I got of tons of love on Twitter and tons of likes and retweets and people helping that out. I'm sure that helped amplify the message somehow. But most of the the way I, most of the sales came in through, through email. you know, like the referrals, the insiders, ref, and, you know, full stack radio, that kind of thing. And so I could track it that way. And it seemed like everything came in through email. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, I don't think we even mentioned that on the last podcast, uh, but anyone listening to this one, if it's still within the launch window, when does your, when is your launch officially supposed to end? The 14th. Of next month? Yes. Okay. So a really long launch date. So anyone listening to this can go to pushsilver.com slash radio and actually get a slightly better discount than the regular launch discount. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener and you've been following along with the launch kind of journey up till now, you will be uh, slightly rewarded for uh, <laughs> uh, your patronage. So definitely uh, check that out if you've been thinking about picking up some invoicing software. So that's yes. good to hear about the email. I think like... um. It's one of those things where like everyone thinks about like social media as being like the biggest thing and, you know, getting all these followers and whatever, but that's still never going to be as good as being able to actually push a message directly to someone in a place where they're guaranteed to read it. You know what I mean? Like an email inbox, like that goes there and waits for you to either delete it or read it. Like you have to act on it. Um, and you get to like push that message directly to whoever subscribed. Whereas like Twitter, you know, unless someone happens to be looking at Twitter at the time that you tweeted out or happens to see it because they're bored and scrolling back through or whatever, there's really no guarantee that they're ever going to see it. And I think I've heard stats um, from Laura Roder, who runs Meet Edgar, which is like a social media like automation tool, kind of it, that tries to, it sits in sort of a similar space to like Buffer, but they have some more advanced kind of content recycling features. I know in listening to interviews with her, she's mentioned that um, uh, based on the research that she's done, it's something like 10% of your audience will see any given message that you put out there. So you have what, like 1,500 Twitter followers or something, right? Right. So like 150 people out of 1,500 might see it. Whereas with email, what were your open rates like on the launch email at the end of the day? Um, I think they got up to like, 60% on some of them. Yeah. I think the highest was 70. Yep. Yeah. So compare 10% of people on social media to 70% of people who actually opened, you know, and looked at the email. Like that's a huge, huge difference. And the people on the email are also like self-selected to like opt into the email too. So they're already like more likely to buy than someone who just happens to see the tweet on Twitter. So I don't know. Uh, email is like incredibly powerful as a marketing 
strategy. Like I think uh, everyone always says like, yes, email is the thing. It's the most important thing you should be doing. That's like where all your sales are going to come from. And I think until you actually like use it yourself and get a bunch of sales from it, it's hard to not that it's hard to like believe, like you believe it, but you don't like realize like how much better it is until like you get to experience it, you know? So yeah. Like the, the infinite is live email that went out had a 64% open rate and it was almost 22% click through. And I was like, like, that's a, that's a super high click through rate. Yeah. 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 And I mean, Twitter can probably help amplify the message and make people remember or like, like mentally dog ear your email when they see it. Yeah. You know, like, Oh yeah. yeah, I want to go back there and click that link that he sent me, but definitely didn't seem like any sales came in directly there. Yeah. You got to think about like what people are doing when they're checking Twitter usually too. Right. Like is the time when someone's browsing Twitter the same time where they're likely to like, spend money on something like maybe they're in line at the grocery store or or killing time at the doctor's office or you know i think like a lot of us like geeks who work on the web and stuff and you know make our programmers or whatever i check twitter a lot in my browser on my desktop but i doubt that's the norm you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so yeah whereas with email someone's probably at their computer working through their email Um, so it just seems like, you know, your odds are a lot better in every way. For sure. If I could go back and do it again, I'd probably spend a lot more time developing that list to be bigger since it was, the conversion was so great on it, you know? (sighs) Yeah. You were telling me the whole time though. So I should have been just listening. (laughs) But now you know, now you've experienced it. So. Now you I can actually internalize the lesson. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> so is there anything that um, looking back you think like didn't work out the way you expected to or didn't go as well as you hoped? Well, I haven't done the product hunt thing yet. Uh, I was trying to f- find somebody that was well known in the product hunt community. I was emailing several folks to see if they could launch it on the same day. It's kind of getting down to the wire and those people are kind of scheduled out. Yeah. Um. I guess the idea is that on if you want to launch on product time, it's better to launch to somebody that has thousands and thousands of followers because those people get emails. Okay. Uh, yeah. When those people hunt something, you know, versus if I just do it, I might have ten or fifteen followers on there, and then then it's just a, a mad push, you know, on my end. Whereas you get like to try a, and drive people to product time to upvote it or whatever. Right. And and so you want to find somebody that is well known in that community. Uh, and they even get like rankings. You can go to like the top 500 product hunt people. Yeah. And you can go ask them, but they're pretty booked up. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously it would help if you actually were buddies with one of these people, of course, or had them in your network, right? You don't want to just be like asking random people to do you favors. Kind yeah. of slimy, but yeah, yep. cool. So uh, 500 makers. That's what it was. Do you have a plan for the product hunt launch then? I'm still going to try to find somebody that has a, a good follower account that's that likes the product to have them hunt the product and then see what, see what we can do with that. It'd be kind of like a second launch in the middle of the, the launch window. I have 1,177 followers on Product Hunt. Wouldn't be a bad deal. Might be some crossover, though. Yeah. I could do it for you, though, if it, if it comes to it. <laughs> uh, anything else that you think you know, that you kind of learned that you would do differently? Definitely would have probably spent more time, you know, on Twitter, like talking about the product more because of that, like 10% only seeing your tweets. Yeah. You know, cause I, you, you tweeted out about something about me being too modest to, <laughs> to even promote my own stuff, which is true. I just feel like a slime ball even telling anybody about it. And we've talked about that before. You know, I'm excited about the product. I think it's good for people, but even that's not enough to like get past that mental barrier. That's like, ah, everybody's just hearing about this all the time. They're going to stop following me and you know, that, that kind of stuff. And like you see all your own tweets, right? So you feel like I just tweeted about that six hours ago or whatever, but it's a whole different group of people who are going to see it. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it is tough. I think you have to it's worth it. Like, I don't think people interpret it as like badly as it feels like they're going to. Cause I totally know uh, the feeling, but you just have to try and uh, balance it out 
with enough other you know useful uh, commentary things, yeah. or whatever uh to so people know that like you're just a good dude who's working on something and you're excited about launching it and that you're not trying to you know scam people or whatever that yeah. fear is that you think people are going to interpret it as yeah and then we've got a lot of folks that are makers themselves or you know just people that are cheering us on anyways and they don't mind to retweet it twice in a day yeah that kind of stuff so for sure cool man so uh what's next for uh the push silver stuff do you have like you know, you're saying that you can do this product hunt thing and hopefully get like a bit of a boost there. Uh, but do you have any other kind of plans for continuing to like build off this launch? Like what's next? Um, uh, working on an outline for maybe an email course, some, some sort of thing, maybe an ebook or email course on successful freelancing to kind of help people who are new to that work through, you know, the common pitfalls with freelancing and just kind of get a, kind of get that uh, old soldier type story, like that old war <laughs> stories. <laughs> um, and then, you know, kind of use that to help, you know, promote Push Silver and other products that I like along that pathway. Um, what else? Definitely there's some huge features coming out. I've almost come out with uh, one of the top ones was uh, incremental invoice numbers, which I've kind of like left out because I didn't really understand the VAT kind of crap. Okay, yeah. Um. And so I've been working on that and that's almost ready to go in this first version and the VAT line I've almost I've got it done too it's all tested and everything it's just a matter of shipping it and kind of like amplifying the using writing the email about it you know yep kind of write emails about all of those during the all of those new features during the the campaign yeah man I think that makes a lot of sense got any other features coming I know one thing that I, I would love to have uh, is selectable currency per invoice. Oh, yes. That's the third one on my list is per per invoice currencies. Nice. The, the, the challenge with that is the reporting. I was talking with someone else about mm. the same thing. It's like, then is it like, do I have to store the exchange rate and all that exchange stuff? Exchange rate and, and do like some normalization yeah. to that's the, the person. Isn't that annoying? Like how uh, something that sounds like it should theoretically be basically you're passing one different parameter to a stripe api call all of a sudden is like the ripple effects that it has through like every everything else in the system everything is always 10 times more complicated than you think yeah i guess you could just pull back all of the all of the payments from stripe and and that would have the the exchange rate already kind of built in but i still don't know what i don't know on that so it's, it's all different. You know what? There's additional complexity there too, because just because um, you can have bank accounts of multiple currencies connected to Stripe. So for me, I have a Canadian business bank account and a US dollar business bank account connected to the same Stripe account. So when I get money paid to me in Canadian, I get Stripe to transfer that to the Canadian account. And when I get paid in US, I transfer it to the US account. The reason I do that is because Stripe, they convert it to Canadian instantly otherwise, right? On the day of the transaction. And the exchange rate fluctuates a lot. And Stripe's exchange rate is actually worse than what I would get going through like my own bank or my own like effects broker. So um, if I let Stripe convert it right away, I lose money, which means what I end up doing is I hoard like US cash and like a US dollar bank account. And then I convert it when I think like the exchange rate is favorable or whatever which is like a little bit of a gamble, but it tends to pay off to wait than it does to just let it happen every single time. But that's like, that means that you don't get that information from Stripe about like, oh, what did this get converted to? Because Stripe didn't convert it. And it also means that like you can't even use like, I use this API fixer.io, which is like a exchange rate API. I mm-hmm. use that for all my reporting for my own stuff. And I use whatever the exchange rate is on the day of the sale. And you could do that in push silver, but you'd have to like be careful to explain to people like that. This is approximate and might not be accurate for them if they aren't converting on the days that you, that the money was paid. You know what I mean? So it's multi-currency stuff is generally impossible to accurately report like across currencies in my experience. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I don't know. You might want to be able to just, 
like you might want to just have like a drop down or something where like you can only look at reports for like a single currency at a time like just yeah. maybe some way to judo like the whole problem and just not even <laughs> solve it yet and yeah that was that was an option that came up in my discussions with other folks i'm just like that doesn't even seem like a real solution you're not actually solving the problem you're just filtering no, my it's currency. deferring the problem but basically what it lets you do is at least allow people to have multi-currency invoicing um, without this weird hole in the system where it's like, well, what does reporting do now? At least like you have, you make a decision about what reporting should do under those circumstances, even if it's not the most helpful thing that it could do, because it's more important to at least allow people to send the multi-currency invoices, you know? Yeah. I guess I kind of do it already with the payments, you know, cause I, I just take the gross of the payment. I don't actually figure in Stripe fees or when I'm showing the user, you know, so their payouts are always different than what they're actually coming in because of the Stripe fees. Um, so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's tricky. Everything should just be, a, we should have a global currency. That would solve a lot of problems. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. As sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. Um, another thing you had mentioned to me was that you were working on uh, trying to sort of clean up some of your email stuff um, and doing like some list segmentation and running into some uh, some trickiness there. So what do you got going on there? Yep. So I had two lists in MailChimp, uh, Push Silver Infinite, that I stuck everybody that signed up for that on the landing page. And then I had all of my Push Silver customers already in a list. And... Basically, I wanted to get all of those people in the same list and have them kind of tagged or segmented out yeah. based on, you know, whether they bought already, where they haven't bought, you know, if they were on the infinite list originally or if they were just customers from before. That way I could kind of send targeted emails that way. And it was not a great experience, actually. <laughs> I found MailChimp to be a little more difficult than I, I thought they would be with it you know i was doing a lot of csv exporting and trying to get it to uh, accept the whole list and and tag everybody in that segment it's yeah i've heard i've never used mailchimp really for anything uh but my understanding is that like their their segmentation stuff is kind of weak compared to some of the more powerful tools out there mm-hmm you could always uh, switch to something else more expensive <laughs> to be able to do it better. Like uh, I use ConvertKit for all my stuff and they make it really, really easy to do segmentation on like this person signed up on this landing page before this date and also bought this other product. Like I can make groups of people like that really easily. I know Drip can also do that stuff really easily too. 
Um, but they're both more expensive. Yeah, and I assume MailChimp can do it if I would just build the, the tooling around it because right now I'm still just like, there's new people in the database. Okay, I'm going to go put them in and have MailChimp auto-update their account or their uh, their entry in their database. And so it's still very manual. I don't yeah. I think it was because when I launched Silver like almost two years ago, I had a MailChimp sign up thing and there was, I wasn't really comfortable with testing yet. And so when it failed in production, I just commented out the MailChimp you know, <laughs> on sign up. I was like, ah, I don't yeah. need it that bad. I'll just import it manually. Sure. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I, th- I think you'll be able to figure it out again. I don't know enough about what MailChimp offers in terms of like tagging and segmentation stuff, but. I figure at this point in time, they got to be able to at least do some of that really basic sort of tagging and segmentation. So it sounds like it should be doable. Yeah, I'll just find a good tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, what do I got for updates today? Um, I got a bunch of stuff, really. Uh, last week, Steve, uh, my co-founder, uh, he works, he has kind of an interesting sort of work schedule. So he like works for... Uh, Titan, uh, the company I used to work for doing like part-time design for them because they don't really need a full-time designer, but they definitely need someone once in a while. And then he also works for Taylor, uh, Otwell who does all the Laravel stuff part-time too. So his setup is like, he works one week for Titan, one week for Taylor, and then he has one week for either other freelancing work or his own personal projects or whatever. And that three week thing kind of cycles. So last week was, uh, his first off week really since me and him have started working on this where he had the whole week to work on kite tail stuff. Uh, so we did a lot of work kind of doing some more prototyping and kind of product design stuff because on Friday, so four days from now I'm going to that convert kit conference in Idaho and I really want to have, um, some sort of prototype put together, uh, that I can get feedback on. So we're working on putting together just like a pretty decently polished, like envision or Marvel prototype, uh, right now because we're not going to be able to build it all for real in the amount of time that we have. Uh, so we spent a lot of time kind of just figuring things out and man, is it ever surprising like how hard it is to nail even like the things that seem to be so trivial when it comes to just trying to make the interface like intuitive. Um, you know, people might call that like UX or whatever. I don't think that's a great term. I think it's a little too broad, but really just like deciding how things should be exposed in the app and how things should work. And uh, I don't know, man, it really gave me like a really strong appreciation for some of the other apps that I already use. And like some of the things that just seem like so obvious how they might build something makes you really realize like how much decision-making and effort probably went into making uh, something seem so easy. You know, it's like one of those things they say, like a good design is invisible, I think is like the saying. Mm-hmm. It's, which is like sad uh, because no one ever appreciates, uh, you know, how much work it, it took to, to get something right. But I don't know, man. I think uh, I talked about this before, but one thing that we were hacking on a lot was um, this like support for tiered products and being able to create like a new product, but then additionally add multiple tiers to that product if you want. So like with my refactoring a collections book, I might start by just making that a product, then decide, okay, I want to have two more tiers. And that sounds easy, right? Like, okay, I just add a second tier and then I start editing that tier. But it's not really that easy because when you don't have any tiers, that's different from having one tier because the whole UI kind of has to change because it's not like you're just naming the product. Each package needs to have a name. So if I have a UI for editing a product. I might just have the product name, the product description, product price, and then uh, like the webhook information. But if I'm adding multiple tiers, now I might want to have like a field to edit the overall product name, which applies to all tiers, a field to edit the package name, a field to edit the price for that package and the description for that package. So if you only have one tier, but it's because you just deleted your second tier and you want to add a new second tier, we can't just like totally revert back to the UI that supports only a product with no tiers because now we put like the the shared product information on like a different part of the UI. So like editing the product title and stuff like that. So man, was it ever kind of hard to nail that, but we, we did land on something that I think feels pretty good now, which we talked about like maybe having like almost like a setting where it's like, is this a tiered product or like a single product? Mm-hmm. But that just seemed like 
crappy. I don't know. Um, I didn't want like someone to have to make that decision up front when they're creating a product. Like, okay, I'm creating a product and I need to know right away, am I going to make it tiered or not tiered? Just sounds like a barrier to getting started, right? Mm-hmm. So we landed on this approach where like you just create it. It starts with no tiers, um, but there's a button at the bottom that originally when we mocked it up, it was going to say like add another tier, which is fine, but sort of confusing because it makes you think you already have a tier. And we ended up like kind of solving most of our problems have been solved with copy editing, surprisingly for like everything. Uh, It's surprising how many problems you can solve with just like writing a better sentence. Yeah. So um, now it says like create multiple packages for this product, which really it's the same as adding another tier, but it kind of makes it sound like a more discreet step towards like converting it into like a multi-tier product. Mm -hmm. And then when you do that, you get like a new UI where on the sidebar, you have like your current tier that you start with a section at the top that lets you go to edit the overall product details, like the shared title. And I think there's also like, um, for, for products that are going to be downloadable products, it'll list all the different files that you have attached to any of the tiers. So you can like kind of bulk edit those. Mm-hmm. But anyways, from then on, you can add separate tiers in the sidebar and then you can remove each of those tiers by just being active on that package screen and hitting like remove package at the bottom. And when you get back to the very first tier, like you've deleted all the tiers except the first one, you still have the tiered package UI, but like the remove tier button at the bottom, we're going to make that say something else instead. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know exactly yet, but it's something similar to what we had for creating multiple packages, uh, but sort of the reverse. Like instead Mm -hmm. of saying like remove package or whatever, it'll just say something like, Uh, only offer a single version of this product, you know, and you click that and that's basically the same as converting it back to a non-tiered product. So that took us forever. Um, We also were hacking a lot on this discount screen for trying to create discount codes, which uh, I posted about that on Twitter a little bit, but that was a nightmare. Um, What we landed on, I think is good, but again, it like, it really took a long time. So uh, we want to be able to have like multiple discount types and, we were trying to figure out how to make this work in a, a sane way because we also want, so let me back up and try and explain a, a situation. So say I'm creating a discount code for one of my products. Uh, say it's for my like refactoring a collections book and I want to make a single code. That's something like an example would be, I did like an anniversary sale for my book in May. So I had a coupon code that was anniversary sale and this was in Gumroad and it was a hell on earth trying to make this. Well, it's not hell, but it's a lot of manual work and you got to go through tons of different screens and keep multiple tabs open so you can figure out what the hell you're doing. It's just, it's not enjoyable. So I have one coupon where for the cheapest package, it gives you like a 25% discount for the middle package. It gives you like a 30% discount. And for the top package, it gives you like a 40% discount. So this is not something that like is supported by uh, most, basically anything that we've looked at. Like even Shopify doesn't let you have a coupon that affects different products in different ways mm-hmm. uh, because in their system cu- coupons are like applied to a cart or an order, right? Which is a little bit different because our system is really focused on just selling one product. Mm-hmm. Um, so we needed to come up with a UI that would basically let you say, okay, I want to make this a percent off coupon. And when you make a coupon, a percent off coupon, it gives you another field where you want to enter the percent off that this coupon gives you. But that's confusing because if you're going into it thinking, well, I actually want it to be a different percent for every product. I don't know what to type in this top level global percent box because there's three products and I want each one of them to have a different percentage. Uh Uh, So then we're trying to solve that problem by adding like more configuration options to the screen. Like, okay, I choose like a percent off coupon and then I have like a radio button that's like same percent for all products or like choose percentage for each product. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, well that's not the worst thing I've ever heard of. It can work. Um, but then after that, we needed like another option to be able to say like, okay, this coupon applies to every product in your account or it only applies to selected products because I might have my book and my testing course in there, but the coupon only applies to the book, but I don't want it to have the same discount for every version of the book. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I need to be able to say like, okay, it's a percent off coupon 
that is the same value for every product I apply it to, but I only want to apply it to these three products. It just gets so confusing. So that took us like a whole day of messing around, uh, but we eventually figured out something that I think works, which again was like solving it with just like pure copywriting. So now when you choose like percent off and it gives you that like global percent off field, uh, instead of having another option that says, it's the same percentage for all products or it's a different percentage per product and then only showing that global percentage box if you say it's the same percentage for all products i know it sounds confusing but <laughs> anyways uh what we do now is we say you choose percent off it shows you that global discount amount but then we just stick helper text under it that just says you can override this percentage per product if needed so it just kind of tells you like if you're intending to just put like an arbitrary percentage per product, it really doesn't matter like what you put in this field. So don't like stress about it or don't feel like blocked that you don't know what to do to finish like building your coupon or whatever. So if you choose that and then you choose like, okay, this should apply to selected products only. We give you a list of all your products with like check boxes beside each one. You check off the products that you want it to apply to. And then on the right, it'll like auto preview kind of like the effect of that coupon. So say I have three packages for my book. In my case, they're like the bare essentials, the premium package, and the complete reference package. So you might see the bare essentials, and then next to it, if say I've said 30% off for the total coupon amount, you'll see $39 minus 30% equals, and then it'll show you what the final price would be by applying this coupon. So you kind of get like, you know, visual feedback, so you can kind of understand how it's going to apply to things. But if you hover over that row, we'll show like a little text link that says like override. So if I click override, then it turns that percentage value into an input field. And then I can just type in a manual percentage there instead. Uh, and if I decide I don't want to override it anymore, I can just go to that row and hit like revert or reset or something to kind of lock it back to the global one. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, I think we have like a pretty intuitive UI for all the discount stuff now, but man, was it ever hard to like land on it. And I think it's going to be one of those things where when people use it, hopefully if we did it right, it feels like intuitive and easy and no one would ever even, you know, realize like how much effort it was to make it that easy. You know what I mean? It just seems so obvious once it's done, but man, totally brutal. Yeah. Versus like... I guess you could have done it a halfway way of doing it is having per tier coupons and you could just allow them to have the same coupon code for each tier with different And that's how Gumroad works. So I'd have to yeah. go in and like, instead of having disc, like we, we have discounts as like a top level kind of uh, concept in the app. So you don't have to like go into a product and then create a coupon for that product. You just go to like your whole account level in the main nav, like discounts is like a, a first class thing. Um, and yeah, the Gumroad way, like you're saying, where you could do it at each level totally works, but it's just painful because you have to do it in so many uh, different screens and keep track of which one you're currently editing and go and copy the link to each coupon after the fact or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. We kind of have the same, I mean, definitely not with that level of complexity, but on Push Silver, there's the, I try to make some intelligent decisions for people that are just doing invoicing by themselves or trying to do it under a company. So like in the account settings, uh, if you type in your first name and last name, but don't type in a company name, all your invoices show up as your name. But what's happening in the background is I'm setting the team name to the combination of your first name and last name. And so we're yeah. always pulling from the team, the secret, secret team that nobody knows about, you know, there's a team. Yeah. Uh, and that's, we're setting the team name based on your name, but you can go and override the, the company name at any time. And so we're kind of writing to both the team table and the user's individual row um, in case we split that out one day. But it, it allows us to, kind of just always rely on the team because we're writing to the team's row trying to be intelligent about it a little bit yeah man makes sense just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors and that is Rollbar. so here's what paul the founder of circle ci had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at circle ci 
Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors. And it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really, uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language. We're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. We want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it. So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI, and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. Another thing was like, um, for the longest time, we had this idea of like a publish button at the top of a product page. So you could be working on a product, but you're not ready to make it available for sale yet. And uh, we had this publish button up there, uh, but we started looking at it wondering like, is this really like the best way to handle this? Because publishing is like sort of a high consequence action, like something that you probably like don't want to do by mistake sometimes, you know, not that it, not that the odds of someone like finding your public page within the seconds that it takes for you to undo it are significant or whatever, but there's just something about like seeing like a high severity button on the screen that kind of like makes the user feel a little bit nervous and cautious about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to figure out a way like, okay, how can we make this like confirmable? Like, do we want to hit publish and then show like a modal and then say like, are you sure you want to publish this? People will be able to buy it and then hit yes. And it's like... Yeah, you know, that could work. Um, that's not the worst thing in the world, but we don't really have a lot of modals in the app, but I kind of hate modals. So I try to look for ways to dodge them if possible. But we also had this situation where if someone's product didn't have all the necessary fields filled out to be publishable, we wanted to be able to like have that publish button disabled, right? But we couldn't figure out where to show kind of like some info to say why that button was disabled uh, because it's just a disabled button. So one thing we thought was, okay, well maybe we hover over the button and there's like a tool tip that says, you know, you can't publish this because blah, blah, blah. Um, and then we even thought, okay, well maybe we have like a drop down menu, like a select box where you can choose between two states of like draft and published. And that started kind of feeling pretty interesting or like a toggle button, this toggle between the two. Um, but again, like choosing from a drop down. And then selecting the other option feels like um, weird because if I choose a different option from like select menu and it just like auto updates with Ajax, that might be surprising to you. Yeah. You know, like you might think there should be a button next to it or something. Same with like a toggle. So the approach that we landed on that I thought was like kind of genius, but again, seems so non-innovative in any way is uh, we have like a a drop down menu that's more like the sort of drop down menu you'd see in like a, the top right corner of your nav bar, you know, like when you click your profile image and you get like a drop down menu with some links in there. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a drop down menu like that that says draft normally with an arrow next to it, sort of indicating like, hey, you can click this and you're going to see options, but clicking it isn't going to instantly publish it. So don't worry. And then you get the two options, which are like draft, which would be the one that you're already on, and then like published. And then when you hover over published, you get like that big vibrant blue background like you would on any menu item and then you click it again and it actually would do it and i mean it's so silly but it just seems like so much nicer in terms of solving that problem of having the confirm step without having to have an explicit confirm step because now you have like two clicks and there's something about that second click where like i intuitively expect that it's actually gonna take effect when i click it this item in the drop down you know what i mean mm-hmm and it's just like so so trivial in terms of like the difference between that and some of the other approaches, but just something about it feels so much more solid. And the other nice thing is like 
this dropdown can be like a totally custom UI thing. So underneath like where it says published, we can put like a paragraph of text under that in the dropdown if we want. And if for whatever reason you can't publish the product, when you click this draft dropdown and we open up the two options, we can have like the published option be like grayed out with like an X yeah. beside it or something. And then right under it, we can kind of say like, oh, you need to give your product a price before you can publish it. You know what I mean? So, man, it's like, it's so subtle and so simple, but it solves so many problems for us just by changing from like a button to like a profile style dropdown thing. I don't know that that felt like a real breakthrough for us in the UI and it's so silly after the fact, but man, were we like struggling with it until we kind of landed on that idea. So. Yeah. It makes me think of like ICBM, those missiles, you know, where they have to like flip the, the hood up, yeah. they have to put the <laughs> two keys in and both turn right on three and then they can push the button. You know, it's like, okay, there's a built-in confirmation to that versus like just getting like, yeah, you click the button. Are you ready to go now? You know, and you have that whole interstitial step yeah. or even worse is just having a big red button and someone puts their coffee on it and it goes off yeah. and their sites is their products live everybody yeah. can guess the url exactly yeah it basically feels like what you're saying like you have that like plastic cover that's over the red button and you flip that up and then press the button and as soon as that covers there it changes like the whole the whole vibe of being around that like control desk or something you know what i mean because yeah you know that you have to like be intentional about it. So I don't know. It's been, it's been really fun. Like uh, working on like user interface kind of problem solving stuff. Um, that's something like I've always really like been passionate about and it's been good to have like an opportunity to work on it in a context where it's like software that I really understand because I'm like kind of building it to solve like my own problems, my own business. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. A lot of it makes like a lot of the programming conversations seem like so trivial. You know what I mean? Like all the arguments yeah. and stuff people have about design patterns and data mapper versus active record or whatever. It's like, dude, all that stuff is so easy compared to just like designing a product. And it's not about like design, like visual design, like picking colors and fonts and anything like that, but like actually like crafting a tool that's like intuitive to use and lets people do the things they want in the way that they expect to be able to do them. It's just like a whole other world of interesting challenges for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It would be a lot harder. <laughs> I imagine it'd be a lot easier to build Pushsilver with a co-founder that was as good at design, you know, that like Steve is and you guys are working together. Yeah. It's definitely nice to have someone else to, to count on for some of those things like he's got all the visual design skills and uh like i think i care a lot about visual design too and it's something i practice a lot and try to get better at but obviously he's like a you know a a full-blooded designer so he gets it better than me and it will do a better job Uh, but yeah it's definitely nice to be able to just focus on like some of the problem solving aspects of it and figuring out like how the interface should work and how it should be organized and we can work on that together and then he just kind of goes away and makes it pretty after the fact. Yeah. So yeah, it's worked out to be good for sure. I definitely, uh, I was kind of hesitant when I first was starting on this project about like bringing on someone else versus just working on it myself. Uh, but in hindsight, it's definitely like the best decision that I could have possibly made uh, for the product where we, it's so much better than it would have been with just me working on it on my own. And, uh, it's more fun and, you know, we're making good progress and stuff. So yeah, it's been really good. Highly recommend collaborating on things with people. If, uh, if you have people to collaborate with. Yeah. Or else you'll just be stuck, like choosing the halfway between this code doesn't hurt as bad. So I'm, this is good enough. This code's good enough because it doesn't hurt like it could, but it's not as, you know, idealistic yeah. as it, I want it. And the same thing with the UE, like uploading image avatars or company logos in push silver. It's like started with like toying around with drop zone and writing my own view component that does uploading. I'm like, Oh God, no. And then just writing like some jQuery that stylizes a, you know, a fake button that triggers the input. You know, that was the simplest solution. The the least amount of pain for me, but it got me to like 75 to 85% of what I wanted. (laughs) For sure. What you get when you're solo. You know what is an interesting thing that I learned semi-recently 
that I wish was like more commonly known. Um, you know, with like a file input in the browser, like a choose file sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Did you know that you can drag and drop files from Finder onto the actual button and it'll yeah. work in all browsers? Yeah. Like it basically, if everyone just knew that, like as users, like no one would need to use drop zone or any of these things, unless you just really want it to look fancy. But like you can do drag and drop without having to like bring in a library just to support that. As long as you're willing as long as people know that like the browser just supports that out of the box. It was like one of the most mind blowing <laughs> things I ever saw. I yeah. totally had no clue you could do that until a few months ago. Yeah, it's awesome. And it works on Push Silver too. Love it. my little custom custom browse button. It's a fake button. Cool, man. Well, uh, I think uh, we've been going like pretty long. There was some other stuff I wanted to get into, but we can save that for uh, for the next episode. What I wanted to talk about was uh, I'm working on a CSS framework, and you built a CSS framework, so we could talk some CSS, but we'll save that for, uh, for next time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, before we wrap up, where can people get all the details about uh, Push Silver Infinite if they're not signed up already? And where should Full Stack Radio listeners go if they're interested in Push wow. Silver Infinite? I feel like I need to put a an email list sign up on the actual site now. Now that there's no reason to sign up for like a special infinite list thing, you know, I need to have my own list. So maybe I'll put one up. But you can go to pushsilver.com and just look at the new pricing, which is live on the homepage. And what was the other question? And where should full stack radio listeners specifically go? Oh, they should specifically go to pushsilver.com slash fullstackradio, and that will automatically apply the sweet discount for listening to the Push Silver plans. Love it. One quick idea before I forget, because uh, you mentioned that email thing. I don't know if this is the best possible thing, but something that might inspire an interesting idea is I know BidSketch, which is a tool for creating proposals, like a software tool for creating proposals for projects and stuff they have like an opt-in form on their site to get a sample proposal sent to you so you can see like what the proposals look like that it generates you could do something like you know enter your email to demo sort of the experience of receiving a push silver invoice um and that could help you like capture emails from people who just want to like demo what it's going to look like for their clients to receive invoices to see if they're going to be happy with what it does you know i think that could be a good idea yeah, I think that's a good idea. I did have like this weird, like, I think it was like a fever dream or something the other <laughs> night where I was like, I know what I need to do. Instead of having people sign up and put in their credit card information in like the flow that I have now, I need, to, when they hit sign up, it sends them an invoice from Push Silver, and they have to fill it out to get the account. And so they get the whole client excited experience. And when they love that, that's when they get yeah. the account. But then that's interesting, actually. I kind (laughs) of dig that. (laughs) Yeah, some sort of like bring them into it already. Yeah, I like that. That'd be worth uh, worth playing with for sure. Either way, you definitely got to do something to uh, to get their email. I think like the example invoice is good enough. And if you want to go hardcore with like using push silver to buy push silver, I don't know. I'm into that too. Yeah, that sounds fun. Cool. All right, man. Well, it was fun chatting with you, and uh, we'll have to catch up again in a couple weeks. All right. If anybody's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 67. Thanks to Hired and Rollbar for sponsoring Full Stack Radio as always. And we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks.